Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tantalk Radio Network. Hey, listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Belladora's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorraspizza.com. Frank and I get a call from Danielle, and she tells us we're going to go pick a guy named Bino. Now, this guy's been collecting Indian motorcycles for years, but the kicker is he was actually born in an Indian motorcycle shop. This is insane. Hey, I'm hey, Mike. Frank. Nice to meet you. Hi. My name's Frank. How you doing? Frank. My first impressions were pulling up. I mean, this guy's got a huge property. He lives in a nice house. I'm hoping that he needs my money. We're looking through all the BSAs, all the Nortons, all the Triumphs, and then we land on it. Okay, I'm totally freaking out because I'm looking at this one. That's a 1914 Power Plus. My dad found it up in Illinois. A farm fresh 1914 Indian twin. Um, he bought it from some guys who had been riding it in the pasture with no tires. You can still see the cow sh- <laughs> I saw that. I thought it was like a cool. the rotted inner tube. If you love motorcycles and you love the history of them, you love to ride them, you love them to the core, then you gotta love Indian motorcycles. This bike is the real deal sitting in front of me. He was born in 1914, so uh, he always wanted to restore it. This is the way yeah. to keep it, man. Oh, yeah. If you think about the history and the evolution of Indian, I mean, this is what, a 14? Yeah. In 14, they came out with electric headlights, they came out with electric start back then, they came out with the first V-twin. They were at the time. You know, I mean, they, they, and they were kicking butt on the racetrack back then, too. Man. Sure. Has anybody ever made you an offer on this bike? I don't think I would ever sell it. He says, you know what, there's just too much of a connection between me and this bike. I don't blame you, man. That's exactly the way I love them. Oh, yeah. If he ever decides to sell that bike, hopefully he'll call me. Man, that 14 Indian looks good from here, too. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Wow. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hi, I'm Dennis Gage from My Classic Car, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget, if you missed any of our past shows, you can check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the podcast page. Bobby, you want to whip out the uh, social media for us? 
Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Periscope. Now all at NRC on air because Facebook has now gone to the handles for radio shows. How about that? So at NRC on air. That's a good thing. Anyway, hey, I think it's time for a quick Speed Culture Minute. Of course, uh, if you go to the Speed Culture website, which is speedcultureapp.com, or probably more importantly, if you download it on your phone, right? It's an automotive app. It's called Speed Culture. You can get it on your new Apple, Apple or Android. Or Android. Now, 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 the big news is is that we have totally, I shouldn't say we, I'd say Ice Ice Jeffy, the Steve Wozniak of speed culture and app design, has totally redesigned the new, all new, brand new speed culture app. Now, we haven't even had a chance to try it because both Bobby and I have Android phones, and it's available on Apple Supposed to be available today, could be tomorrow, okay? And then within the next 30 days, it'll be available on Android. Now, this is a completely new app, right, Bobby? Mainly because um, we've changed so much that we've actually had to redo, redo the, um, submit it again to the, uh, to the Apple Store, to the Apple App Store. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if you've ever wanted to find out where car shows are, you definitely want to check out Speed Culture, the Enthusiast mobile app. You can just download it, pull it up on your phone, and you can get all the events there. Now, in addition to that, we now have a classified section, and we now have more media coming. We actually are looking for, besides myself, contributors to, you know, people around the country that want to contribute to the website as far as, you know, videos and, and uh, editorials and things of that nature. Now, here's the deal. We launched this in November at SEMA, and SEMA, we were only not even a week old, and we had like 150 users that we kind of organically cultivated. Right, Bobby? You and I went to a number of car shows. Jeff yes, we did. A whole a, lot. To a, a number of car shows. Okay, so everybody thought, ah, you know, another, you know, another uh, fly-by-night, flash-in-the-pan, whatever. Well, here it is. Less than six months later, we've got over 5,000, close to 6,000 downloads, okay? We've got 2,500 Apple downloads, and the balance, the rest, which is close to, what, 3,500? On Android now we have seven that well, we had seven thousand visitors a month to the website speedcultureapp.com we've got close to ten thousand visitors so this thing is growing and we're here to stay okay so that's the good news with speed culture so check it out now as far as the major events going on right now yeah we're getting into the warm season so people tend to kind of like uh, in Florida cease going to car shows what they do is they start pulling their boats out and their canoes and their kayaks and everything like that because it's it's almost boating season right Bobby that it is. However, if you're in Michigan, which is where Ice Ice Jeffy is from, that's where all the car shows are going to like go like gangbusters for the next two to three months. They so migrate like birds, I they guess. They migrate like birds. Unless, unless, of course, you're in California, which is 365 days out of the year, rain, snow, sleet, or shine, they're going to go to car shows. That's just uh, you know the car culture in California. It doesn't compare to anything in the planet. It's just a world of its own. Now, having said that, this, you know, Thursday night's Quaker Steak and Lube, Friday night is Biff Burger. However, 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 this Friday, this Friday is Blast Friday in downtown Clearwater. Now, for the second month in a row, Nostalgic Green Cars, yes, that's us, yours truly, will be co-hosting, I guess, I guess that's the word for it. Am I using that right? Saying that right? Kind of co-hosting. Teaming up. Teaming up, yes, with the Ruth Eckert Hall people, our good friends at Ruth Eckert Hall, I might add, and the Capitol Theater, which downtown Clearwater on Cleveland Street, they're going to have Blast Friday. Starts at 530 and goes till 10, but in conjunction with the typical Blast Friday, you know, cool music and vendors event that goes on down there, we are bringing to the show a collector car show. So that takes place at uh, on Cleveland Street on the south side. I shouldn't say the south side. It's actually the west side of the street. As the road goes down, okay, right next to the old Moz Brothers, or what's that building called nowadays, Bobby? Harborview Center. The Harborview Center, right. Okay, so you can actually access it from Drew Street, right? Drew Street, Drew yes. 
Okay, and you come around the bend, and you'll see it blocked off. And all you have to do is just show up. It's a free event. Show up. Bring your cool car. We've got room for 50 cars. If you visit the Nostalgic Radio and Cars Facebook page, um, by between now and the end of the week, you will see, besides more promotion for it, you will see a map uh, that will give you detailed instructions if you want to bring your car of how to get in. Exactly. Now, it's a kind of an impromptu deal, car show. So the guys that are going to stay for the whole duration, you guys get to park at the top of the hill. The guys that are going to split early, we're going to keep you down at the bottom. That way, when you pull out, you know, we won't, the holes won't be so noticeable. Now, Bobby, tell us who the bands are this weekend. Uh, here Comes the Mummies is the uh, entertainer, entertaining uh, band for this weekend. Um, they are apparently a favorite of uh, Ruth Eckerd Hall fans that uh, when they were they were performed there i believe at the capitol theater or it was last friday last year and they, by popular demand they're back right and then there's a couple of support bands as well okay so that's cool so that should be a lot of fun and like i said and then of course there's you know all the eateries are open downtown and there's a couple other bars where they do play some extra music and stuff too so that that continues on so even if you don't want to go home at 10 o'clock you got other places to hang out down there that's pretty far out now bobby i think we got something queued up on the uh on the turn-em-up table there, since we're into the motorcycle thing this weekend, because last weekend we just came back from riding in the history. That was the uh, vintage motorcycle concourse that took place up at World of Golf Village, right? What's it called, Bobby? World Golf Village at the World Golf Hall of Fame. Right, up there just outside of St. Augustine, okay, between St. Augustine and, uh, and uh, Jacksonville. So anyway, so we got something queued up on the uh, turn-em-up table here. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a little music. And this is kind of like the opening scene and opening song from the movie Roustabout with Elvis Presley, and he's driving a vintage motorcycle. Gotta do some living, got the wanderlust. Better clear the highway, cause I'm gonna move some dust. Oh, I got wheels, wheels on my heels, and I gotta keep rolling, rolling along. Why do I keep moving, never settling down? Can it be I'm looking for a dream I haven't found? Oh, I got wheels, wheels on my heels, and I gotta keep it rolling, rolling along. Oh, I got wheels, wheels on my heels, and I gotta keep it rolling, rolling along. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. 
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgia Radio and Cars. Frustrated looking for car shows? Want the latest in automotive news? How about videos and podcasts? Well, check out Speed Culture, the comprehensive automotive app now available on Google Play and the App Store. Speed Culture brings you motorsports event listings based on your current location. Speed Culture also brings you the latest news feeds, videos, podcasts, and more. Speed Culture, the automotive enthusiast mobile app. For more information, check out speedcultureapp.com and download it today. This is Robert from Nostalgia Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. This is Arlen Ness from Dublin, California, motorcycle builder and designer, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and yes, you're tuned into Motoring Along, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Right, Bobby? Oh, yes, moving right along. Moving right along. Well, actually, we had a pretty good time here at uh, at Writing in the History. Um, our good friends from uh, Dime City, did I say it right, Dime City? Dime City Motorcycle. Cycles. Dime City Cycles is up there. Herb and his crew and Scotty and those guys, and they had a number of their bikes there. There was a number of vendors up there. Some pretty amazing bikes were up there. The guest of honor was supposed to be Malcolm Smith, the notorious, world-famous American dirt bike rider, Baja raider, flat tracker. And he just had, a, had an amazing career in racing motorcycles back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And, uh, but unfortunately, due to health reasons or whatever, he wasn't able to make it. So Mitch was there, uh, Mitch Berm. He was on our show last week. He's uh, you know, a former editor for Motorcycle Magazine, Motorcyclist, and Cycle Magazine, and all that other stuff. So he was there, and he wrote an autobiography on Malcolm Smith. So one of the featured bikes there, naturally, was Huskies. And sure enough, there was a number of Huskies there. There was uh, some CR and WR CR standing for close ratio, WR for wide ratio, 400s that were there. There were some vintage bull tacos. Uh, I didn't see any Montessas. Uh, there was a couple of Osas there, which was kind of interesting. A lot of bull tacos. I was amazed uh, by those. And uh, some Hondas as far as uh, just some regular later CRs, 250s. There was a couple of Yamahas. And, uh, of course, the nickname back in the old days on Yamahas was we called them sweet potatoes. I don't know because I guess yams was a short version for Yamaha and a yam is basically, I think, a sweet potato. Do I have that right, Bobby, something like that? That is as far-fetched as it sounds. It's right. (laughs) (laughs) How about that? You know, so uh, there was a couple CZs there. I mean, you don't see those very often. That's a Czechoslovakian bike. Hodakas. There was a couple of Hodakas there, right, Bobby? You saw those? Yeah. And that was over in the dirt bike section. There was a couple Honda 750s there. There was also a Honda 750 Hondamatic there, which we have one of those that we're trying to get rid of. So if anybody wants to buy a 1978 Honda Hondamatic, uh, 750. We have one of those for sale. Project bike. There was a there was a trikes there. A number of vintage Harleys. A number of vintage Triumphs. Vincents, Aerials, Ardies. Bikes that you probably never even heard of. Uh, we've got a guest coming on. A very very noted guest in uh, in the vintage motorcycle world. A former racer himself. Both on uh, on uh, road race courses and on. I think he did a little flat tracking too as well. And a huge Indian collector. And, of course, that's why we played that little clip at the beginning of the show uh, referencing Indian motorcycles with uh, uh, the guys from Pickers because Mike, and uh, particularly Mike, is a motorcycle collector, and particularly he's into Indians as well as vintage Harleys. And um, so he'll be on our show in a little bit here, and we'll be talking about that, some of the other bikes that were there, and some of the obscure bikes that he has. There was a number of BMW motorcycles there. There was Vespas there. There was 
again, motorcycles I'd never even seen before. There was a, 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 a Messerschmitt was there, right? We saw that. There was a number of Honda. There was a, no Z50s, but there was the, uh, the uh, oh, what do they call them? Trail 70s were there. There was a couple CLs, which is kind of like the scrambler version of a Honda 250 and a 350 were there. There was a 305 there. There was a Honda Dream there, very popular back in the days. If you remember the movie Elvis Presley and, uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, Viva Las Vegas. Him and Ann Margaret were riding a, a Honda Dream. That's the really nice one with the really cool-looking fenders and stuff. Let's see, what else was there? Uh, a Matchless. There was a number of Matchless there. There was uh, Vincent Black Shadows. There was a few of those there. Uh, an assortment of vintage Harley Davidsons, obviously, and Indians primarily, which I think I'm, I've said that twice now, right, Bobby? So... But when we're going to get our guests on, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But it was really neat because up there, World of Golf, they got a huge lake. Okay, it's Obviously, it's a PGA golf course type of thing. But what they do a couple times a year is they have some vintage motorized events there. And what they do is they line the the walkway there or the uh, promenade around the lake with, um, I think the Corvette Clubs has a show there. I'm not sure if Porsche shows there, but the, but the motorcycle is the big deal. And that's generally held once a year every May. You would think it would be during Bike Week, but there's so much stuff going on Bike Week. It actually uh, runs. It actually is in competition with it. Uh, another thing that people don't realize is, you know, back in the day, Daytona Beach, actually south of Daytona Beach, Ormond Beach. No, Ormond Beach is north. It's uh, just south of Daytona. Can't remember which area that is now. But uh, we always think of, you know, land speed records at Bonneville and the Dry Lakes, uh, places uh, in in Australia. But believe it or not, they actually were doing high speed and land speed record. Let's use the word chasing, you know, trying to set records on the, on the beaches of Florida. So what would happen is the manufacturers and big industrialist companies from uh, up north, Detroit, New York, and keep in mind, all along the eastern seaboard, it was all man- heavy manufacturing. Okay, so cars and motorcycles and stuff like that weren't necessarily made in Detroit, although that's that was the hub. But I believe massachusetts there was a number indian might have been made in massachusetts i'll get i'll get corrected on this in a little bit here if i'm wrong i say that big talks where's doodly squad yeah and uh so yeah but at any rate so anyway so the guys would actually bring their stuff down to daytona or the east you know daytona ormond beach area okay and what they would do is since we had a nice flat beach and when the when the tides went out there was just huge packed sand there. So you could just run for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles, you know, endlessly. And uh, you could get to, you could attain some pretty serious mile an hour. So they actually came down here and they did testing. It was easier and more economical for the people, the manufacturers on the eastern seaboard to do that as opposed to, uh, you know, dragging everything out to the salt lakes up in Utah or the dry lakes uh, down in uh, El Mirage down there in Southern Cal. Oh, does that sound like something? That sounds like something I'm dragging all that stuff down there. Dragging all that stuff down there. Yeah, that's right. There you go. I like that. So anyway, so that's pretty much what we did this past weekend. That show was absolutely outstanding. Now, let me just jump into cars here a little bit because uh, one of the things I'm working on, as you guys know, uh, visit my website golfstreammotorsports.com, and I do appraisals, I do pre-purchase inspections, I do um, total losses, which is something I'm getting into right now. And uh, one of the vehicles I'm working on right now is a 2001 Dodge pickup truck. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this is that that's an old truck, and probably, you know, most people think, "Eh, you know, it's not worth a lot. But here's the deal. This is a 10-cylinder truck, and they didn't make a lot of them, you know. And uh, it's the first generation. So from 93 to 2001, Dodge came out with their little big rig-looking kind of pickup truck. 
pretty interesting truck, nice looking. I remember that when they came out in 1993, you know, all my friends that had Fords and Chevys were so impressed with the Dodge that they actually, some of them, not all of them, some of them actually went out and bought a Dodge. And, uh, but, you know, so a Dodge's and Chrysler's have always historically had very good looks. They're very attractive cars, very good. But unfortunately, the quality and workmanship on a Dodge generally is not as good as uh, Chevrolet, which is far inferior to a Ford, I have to say. And I'll go into that on another, on another show. But this vehicle was totaled out. So the issue is this. You have a low-mileage vehicle, limited production. Even though it's a normal production vehicle, how do you establish a value on that? Well, you have to go out there, and the insurance companies basically are obligated, because you pay the premiums, to make you whole, which means they have to replace, operative word, replace your vehicle with a like vehicle. So here we are. We have a vehicle that we can't even find any comparables. Now, we have found some that were lesser quality condition and higher mileage, lower value, and we've found a few that have comparable mileage, only one or two, that are substantially way up in the stratosphere in terms of value. So what you have to do is you have to kind of like try to throw out the low, throw out the high, do a little calculating, and then you got to come up with a number. But um, So this is something I'm working on right now, and I'll keep you guys kind of apprised at the, how this turns out because I have been kind of like brought into this case as an umpire because they had two appraisals by two different companies, and they can't seem to get a meeting of the minds. So then what happens is, it, like in a court case, it would go to arbitration. So in this case... I'm, I'm the arbitrator. I'm the umpire. I think that's a technical term. So uh, we'll get into that. This is something that's new for me. I'm going to see how this works out. But if it does, this is valuable information. And then uh, probably in a couple of weeks or so, we're going to have a couple of friends of mine that do appraisals, and we'll have them on here. I think we got something uh, spinning around on the turntable. Let's do a little Chuck Berry here, right? Maybe that's what we're doing. Okay. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Anyone Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. Well, I'm going to write a little letter. I'm going to mail it to my local DJ. Yeah, it's a jumping little record I want my jockey to play. Roll over Beethoven, I gotta hear it again today. You know my temperature rising, the jukebox blowing a fuse. My heart beating rhythm and my soul keep a singing the blues. Roll over Beethoven, tell Tchaikovsky the news. I got the rockin' pneumonia, I need a shot of rhythm and blues. Caught the rolling off the rider sitting down at a rhythm review. I roll over Beethoven, they're rocking in two by two. Well, if you feel it and like it, go get your lover, then reel and rock it. Roll it over, then move on up. Just a trifle further, then reel and rock with one another. Roll over Beethoven, dig these rhythm and blues. She wiggle like a glow arm, dance like a spinning top. She got a crazy partner, you ought to see him reel and rock. Long as she got a dime, the music won't never stop. I roll over me.
one thing. To be the fastest. And there's only one place in the world where you can prove it. Bonneville, USA. Aren't you scared you'll kill yourself if you crash? Welcome to the United States. This is the place where big things happen. Hey, baby, I'll take you around the world. I've just come from halfway around the world. You English? Heavens no, I'm from New Zealand. Where? Welcome to Hollyweird. I can't believe it. I mean, I'm here. What exactly do you intend to do here in the United States? I'll set a land speed record. That's what we're here for. Surgeon machine is not safe. Suspension is right out of the 1920s. What is this? The cork from a brandy bottle. <laughs> the front forks are going in your time. You got no fire extinguisher, no safety chute. You're too old. Bollocks. Just can't run. From the director of 13 Days and the Recruit. I'm sorry, Bert. Starring Academy Award winner Anthony Hopkins. Oh, Bert Monroe's not ready to finish yet, I'll tell you that, mate. the most determined man I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Dad doesn't think you can do it. He says everyone thinks that. Except me. Holy smoke. Based on one hell of a true story. Ever since I was a lad, I've been interested in things that go fast. Fastest Indian. You know how fast you're going back there? Yeah, about uh, 150, 160 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Hey, I'm Dave Despain from Wind Tunnel on Speed. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is a vintage bike racer. From the good old days, a vintage bike historian, an enthusiast, and collector, I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Doc Bassler. Doc, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. So, what do you think of that? We just played a little clip from the world's fastest Indian, and you're a big-time Indian collector. Uh, yes, I knew a couple of the people in the movie, uh, also. Super! Well, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about the movie and uh, some of the other stuff going on, and tell us a little bit about uh, Indians. Well, my, uh... Race number for 40-some years was number 35, and that was Burt Monroe's uh, number. Uh, my One of my, not a neighbor neighbor, but right down the road, Raleigh Free uh, in, in Indianapolis, was an Indian and um, Vincent dealer. He's the uh, person that set the record on the Vincent in his bathing suit and tennis shoes. But anyhow, he was the Vincent guy, Burt Monroe, and Marty Dickerson was the um, the Vincent guy in the movie. Um, and I road raced against him uh, quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about your humble beginnings. How did you get involved in motorcycles? Uh, one of my mentors was national number 57, Bill Kosas, out of South Bend, Indiana. But as a kid, we had to, on our little farm... At five years old, we had to ride uh, Cushman scooter, start it and ride out, put lemonade on the footboard to take out to the guys bailing hay. So I started riding at five years old. Uh-huh. Okay. And so did that get you going into the uh, off-road world of uh, riding motorcycles? Well, I lived on a dirt road, gravel road. So, uh, yes, uh, 
I got a uh, NSU in 58 and um, got my first street rod uh, in 58, and I still have it. And uh, so cars, bikes, drag racing, street racing. Uh, I kind of paralleled the movie American Graffiti. Oh, really? Super. Tell us about your street rod. What's your street rod like? It's a uh, 35 Ford pickup. Uh, channeled, a channel with a chisel. I won by the book, but the reason that many Midwesterners had pickups, if you had a bag of seed corn in the back or a bale of hay and conducting farm business to see your girlfriend, I mean conducting farm business, okay. <laughs> you could drive it uh, 14. Oh, okay. Which was, I think, all the Midwestern states. Uh huh. If you had a sedan, you really couldn't conduct farm business. Okay. So street rods uh, in our area were uh, usually pickups. Okay. Now tell you 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 touched on something there. You said you channeled it, but mm-hmm. you chiseled it. So a lot of people don't realize that back in the day, if you didn't have a lot of handy dandy tools, you actually used axes and chisels, right, and hammers. Uh, yes. Well, to chisel out the uh, the floor away from the cab was fairly easy to do. A uh, couple hours worth of work. Um, and uh, all I had was a torch, so I still have some regular torch marks yet on my uh, my car here. I got to yell at my wife here. I don't know why. Um, knock, knock. Okay, I just, uh, she about jumped out of her thing there. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, then. No, 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 yeah, no. We used uh, hammer chisels, torches. We did good work, Uh Regular uh, electric drill. There was no such thing as CNC, and most street wads were they were more function than flash because they weren't disposable. But there was a good chance we'd wad them up. <laughs> and uh, usually we only drove them six months of the year. Uh, then had a beater car for the other six months due to the salt. Okay. What uh, what what mill or motor do you have in your car? Well, I had a, a three twenty four Oldsmobile that I got free originally, and now I have a three forty horse three twenty seven vet motor. Okay. So I first drag raced at nineteen fifty eight and fourteen years old at Old Seal Dragway. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting that you had the Oldsmobile in there because a lot of people don't realize that in '49, you know, the Oldsmobile rocket motor was like the high performance engine of the time, right? It was uh, one of the first V8s uh, overhead. Uh, I think maybe Cadillac '49. Yeah, Cadillac. Right. Uh, was the motor to have horsepower to weight and torque? Cadillac also, um, the small block Chevy didn't come out till 55, and it was really a weak horsepower. They later developed it, but it was all about horsepower and cubic inch. Uh-huh. Interesting. Let's talk about motorcycles, because that's kind of what we're focused on here, because you right. were at the, um, at the writing in the in the history thing, and I'm trying to kind of talk a little bit about that because that was an amazing event. I've, I've always been invited to it, but this is the first year I actually got a chance to attend it, and I was pretty impressed. So you brought a, you brought a very interesting motorcycle there. Tell us a little bit about what you brought this time. The overhead cam Norton or the Nira car? The Nira car, because that got a lot, a lot of attention. 
Well, the Nira car was patented and designed in uh, around uh, 1918. It's a two-wheeled car more than a motorcycle. Very, very, very modern yet today because it's got a kingpin, a drag link, a tie rod end, and a pitman arm, and a parallel frame and seven-speed transmission. Um, and they were built where? Syracuse, New York. Okay. And they only made a handful of those, right? They, there's two stories. One that they, uh, one set of books they showed to the investors, and the other, uh, the actual. So there, there's a couple different production figures out there. Uh, I, I know of 10 or 15, maybe 20 United States, and there's a few in Europe. And actually, they were produced for a very short time in England with a different motor. Okay. Now, the, the other bike that you had, well, wait, let's go back to that bike, for example. Where did you find that bike? How did you come about that? Well, I put the word out. Uh, I was buying bikes uh, in the early 70s, 71, 72, when I joined the Antique Motorcycle Club, and I was looking for a Nira car. And okay. I had seen parts of one at a museum at Neckarzulm in Germany. Well, I... Uh, a guy bird dog informed me, told me about one, and I was so excited he went and bought it and middlemaned it for a couple weeks, and then sold it to me. Okay, and you've had the bike for how long since the seventies? Seventy two. And it's all original, unmolested. Well, the reason for that is the uh, they had a motor mount support issue, and the crankcase was cracked, mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't have any crankcase compression. And I don't know if they had heliarching back then. So it just got stuck in a hay barn or, and it from uh, more or less 1922 until 72 when I bought it. Interesting. Interesting. Now tell us a little bit about yourself. You, got, you did some motorcycle racing in the early days, in the early 60s, right? Uh, actually, a couple of scrambles in 58 and 59 on a 165 Harley. Uh, amateur AMA, uh, then many unorganized events. However, I got, I uh, was fortunate enough to be stationed in Europe in 60, late 64, 65, and 66. And got to race a, a Bultaco 125 road racer in Italy, Sicily, Germany, France, England, Gibraltar. Um, the government let me put my bike on the mail plane. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Impressive. Club racing. Uh-huh. Is it ever great? Now, did a lot of servicemen back then participate in that, or were you competing mostly against the uh, Europeans back in the there day? There were a few servicemen. Uh, there was two or three Navy, two or three Air Force, a couple Army, uh, but probably 90% uh, were uh, the locals. Okay. And were they good, and were they crazy? They humbled us. Oh, did they really? Oh, there's, can you imagine a 16-year-old Italian? I mean, not only they crash on the hot lap, they crash on the cool-down lap. <laughs> Jeez. That's and crazy. The Spanish uh, aren't as bad, but the uh, one of the most fastest person in the world is the 16-year-old Italian going downhill on a small bike. What were some of the tracks that you raced at over there? Uh, 
a little track, Ulm, Germany, uh, Straubing, Germany, uh, an area right on the Salzburg property, Mallory Park, England, uh, Flupachrenen, Siganilla, Sicily, um, Aviana, Italy, Any... Flupachrenen, Gibraltar, uh, now, for our listeners, I'm going to tell them Flugplatzrennen means airport runways, okay? So, like, you're racing on a tarmac. And that was generally, what, on military bases? Is that the way it was? Well, the, the Spanish, because of the Spanish Civil War, they had uh, numerous airports, and so did the Italians. Uh, flight training pre- or flight pre-World War II, little airports, main, mainly grass, uh, popped up, then they were paved in World War II. Uh, so they were usually cement, but some uh, some asphalt or a combination of both. Okay. And uh, uh, when you talk about the Europeans now, and you talk about the really fast Italians, what were the uh, what were the uh, what were the Germans like when you raced against those guys? The the German club racers were were methodical. They raced the track more, which is what you should do. Um, they raced the track and themselves and got better. The okay. Italians and Spanish were uh, emotional. They'd break throttle cables, twisting it just to get a fraction more when somebody passed them. Okay. <laughs> they were, uh, actually, would, the Germans called them Wasserkopf. Because they would, you know what that was. You can translate that. Waterheads. Because they would steam and boil <laughs> when you pass them, and you could. They used to joke that you could hear them whistling, the steam whistling out of their air holes. <laughs> <laughs> what were the British like to race against, for example? Uh, they had uh, mainly little four strokes. Uh, and a one, two, five, and a few um, Greaves and Villiers two strokes and some Bantams. Um, the British were more mechanical and didn't spend as much money. Okay. Because um, they had a lot. Of, the British actually made a lot of bikes. You know, I mean, when you look at you know the, in terms of production, there was a lot of motorcycles that came out of England. A lot of them started at the turn of the century. The Germans had a few. The Italians had a few. I don't know if there was. Any, I don't know of any Spanish bikes other than Montesas and Osas, but I don't know if they were ever road bikes back in the day. Boltaco, I think, is also Spanish, right? Uh, yes, but that, you're talking sixties. There okay. were uh, in the cradle of motorcycle civil, civilization. Okay, was actually part of Germany, Austria, and the Sudetenland of Czechoslovakia. Okay, they had uh, Lauren and Clement and. Uh, also, France and Belgium were very, very big on uh, turn 1899 uh, type bikes before Harley and Indian in 01 and 03. Is it true that, um, well, I'm sure, I know it is, but, but some of the, the bike manufacturers eventually evolved into car manufacturers, and most notably BMW. Um, so what are some of the other manufacturers that kind of started out building well, motorcycles and involved in the cars? Uh, BMW was before their car. Right, exactly. Uh, there was what they call the Auto Union, 
which was Audi, DKW, and... Uh, Hork. Was Hork involved in that? Uh, let me see. Uh, uh, mm, I should know that. Same here. <laughs> uh, the four symbols of the circles of Audi are, let me see, Audi, DKW, maybe Glass. Well, but they... Uh, they formed a bond, and that's where Audi Union comes from. Yes, mm-hmm. and then later it became um, Audi. But DKW made world-class motorcycles. Actually, they were uh, world champion in the 30s mm-hmm. with a very, very unusual machine, which was so advanced. It was, um, if anybody's listening there, it was a three-cylinder, two-cylinder, air-cooled, water-cooled machine. Interesting. The two cylinders were vertical, uh, alternate firing, two-stroke, water-cooled. The third cylinder out the front was a short-stroke, big-bore, air-cooled cylinder with a plate piston, and also it was the counterbalancer. But on a compression stroke of their of the third air-cooled cylinder, it supercharged one cylinder, and on a backstroke, it supercharged the other cylinder. Wow. Very, very uh, simple. But it worked. But compressed motors were uh, outlawed. Oh, really? Uh, after, uh, I think, 39, they allowed no more uh, compressed motors. Because uh, the BMWs were running, um, well, I think, uh, 130, 100, whatever. Much faster than the tires and the suspension could handle. Okay. And about a few years later, they outlawed the dustbin fairings also due to... Instability. The the what did they outlaw? It was called a dust bin fairing. Oh, really? Fully enclosed uh, front wheel. Okay. From a half inch off the ground, it came back around the handlebars, where the rider was two thirds enclosed in a streamlined eggshell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen pictures of that. That's okay. Dust bins. Okay. You mentioned NSU. I gotta see if you if you and you lived in Europe for a while, so you've got to be familiar with some of the bad boy bikes of the day. Does the name Munch ring a bell? And that was a German bike, and I believe it had an NSU motor, four cylinder engine on it, right? I yes, Friedel Munch. Uh, actually, uh, he was at uh, a Munch gathering I was at in the nineteen uh, eighties, but built a uh, a bike out of a inline four. Um, air oil cooled um, NSU motor, sixty one inch thousand cc. Made his own frame. It was called the Munk Mammoth. Yep. Uh, very expensive. I don't know how many he made. Uh, my guess is one hundred, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, made his own uh, castings for the drive shaft and. Very uh, unusual bike. However, the Honda 4, a couple years later, killed it. Okay. The one that came out with the Sandcast 750s in 69? Yes. Gotcha. However, the there were other four-cylinders way before the Honda, just not in production. Okay. Well, yeah. let's go back to the turn of the century. Henderson, you know, which is basically what? That's. Oh, th- well, there, I can just quickly. There's Henderson, Pierce. Pierce, he, yes. ABC, FN, Militaire, um, 
I think maybe a Chatterley couple. I'll check those dogs. There's numerous four-cylinder shaft drives. Okay. Then Indian and Ace and whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, what, Henderson actually, what, how did that start? They built the motors, then they put them on Ace motorcycles, and then Ace got bought out by Indian. Is that the is that the right sequence? Uh, Henderson was, um, you know, its own manufacturer. Then uh, Ace built a four. Then it was absorbed by Indian and actually had some rebadged Indian Aces. Then later it just became the Indian four. Okay. And then, the, and there's different versions of that motor, correct? Of the Indian four? Yes. Uh, yes, they had a couple called an upside down, and they uh, they had several issues with them. Uh, I rode uh, two of them. I've never owned one, but rode actually quite a few miles. They're smooth, gold wing type. Not much personality. The uh, the, the the twins were. Uh, much easier to love. Is that what were those the Scouts? Was that a, was a Scout a twin? Uh, the Scouts were twins. Okay. Uh, forty-five inch usually. Okay. And then the Harley forty-five or the Harley or Indian big twins. Mm-hmm. The they I'm not saying they're better or worse, but they have a personality. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Versus a uh, sewing machine. Okay, makes sense. Now, if you want to go ripping and impress your girlfriend, do you do it on a Harley or a Scout or a Goldwing? Uh, either a Harley or a Goldwing, probably. No, not the Goldwing. Oh, not the Goldwing. No. Oh, okay. No, she... Uh, well, speaking of which, now your wife and your daughter are both into motorcycles, correct? Yes, my wife's one of the few women ever to win an event at Daytona. A super German girl, lady, um, road racer, engine builder, and my daughter also uh, has road raced and is a builder, but her nursing career sidetracked her uh, motorcycle racing. Okay. So I'm really blessed. Um, that everybody in the family... Family enjo- involved. Right. It's a little difficult sometimes when my wife wakes me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and wants to drop a cylinder press the rings, and I have to help her. <laughs> <laughs> Okie doke. Uh, let me ask you this now. You're a huge motorcycle collector, and mm-hmm. you're, and we only have a few minutes left here, but uh-huh. uh, how many major events do you attend a year? Because you were riding in the, in the history, and I think I, I met you one time at, at Amelia Island. I know you had a bike or two there. I try to attend two or three or four classic shows a year, but Two weeks ago, I was in Sears Point, California, road racing, Willow Springs road racing, getting ready to go to Gingerman, Michigan to race this week, then race Laconia. Just sent my entry forms in for mid-Ohio. So 10 road races a year. I quit flat tracking this year. I've been running a brakeless Indian and uh, got tweaked a little bit. I uh, hit a... Uh, a rut coming out of turn three at Barberville. Okay. And uh, I was Aldana was there. I was trying to be as trying to be as good as him and hit a rut and put my steel shoe into my ankle, then into my knee, then into my hip, then into my shoulder. Uh, just tweaked me. Tweaked you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? 
Doc, I really, really enjoyed the show. I would love to have you on again sometime so we can talk a little bit more about some of the really cool bikes, some of the celebrities that you know that you've met through this you know, amazing career with motorcycles. Uh, talk a little bit about vintage bikes in general, you know, in terms of values and stuff like that. Would you uh, be willing to come on again sometime and talk I about I would be happy. Love to. Now, what's the next major event that's, let's say, in the southeast that if somebody wants to find out a little bit more about vintage bikes, where would they go? Is, is a barber in the fall? Is that the next major one in the southeast? That is so unbelievably big, it's worse than Disneyland if they had a free day. Oh, really? It's so full and so many people. And so many bikes and personalities, and the Barber Museum is the world-class museum, plus the facility. Uh, they have niches for cafe racers. Uh, it's, Barber is a must-see event. Uh, but I would recommend that people should join the Antique Motorcycle Club of America or the Vintage Japanese Motorcycle Club, or the Triumph Club, um, in the event that they buy a bike, they can find out more. Knowledgeable, they're happy, and if they're happy, our Vintage Group will grow. Absolutely. Well, Doc, I want to thank you very much. We're up against the clock. I want to thank my All special right. guest this evening, Doc Batsler, out of New Smyrna Beach, vintage car collector, vintage motorcycle collector, and racer. Doc, thank you very much for coming on the show. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check us out every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Don't forget to check out our website, CallStreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to check out our past shows, Nostalgic Radio Cars, a podcast, which is also on our website. And don't forget to download and use Speed Culture, the enthusiast mobile app. This weekend, don't forget, Friday, Blast Friday, Starts at 4 o'clock, Blast Friday, and the Nostalgic Union Cars Car Show. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners again for tuning in. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Bring on the